This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On Rooms, Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA on a Tuesday, everybody. I'm Wes Goldberg from the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors here with the host of Locked On Heat, David Ramil. And on today's show, the Suns win in Madison Square Garden in dramatic fashion. The Timberwolves sweep the NBA's best team. And Kevin Love appears unhappy in Cleveland. But we begin today with the Coach of the Year race, with which about uh, 10 games to go is as tight as any award for this regular season. So, David, we thought we could break down the competition into three categories. Who will win it, who should win it, and who has no chance but deserves to win Coach of the Year. Let's start with who will win it, David. Well, I I was just kind of going over the past Coach of the Year recipients, and it always seems like they're attributing some kind of big leap, right? From the leap from good to great seems to be the the most cliched response there. Or sometimes it feels like it's a a kind of reward for the previous season success, like you know Nick Nurse winning it last year, the year after they won the championship. And sure, a lot of that was for getting the Raptors into contention despite the loss of Kawhi Leonard and arguably getting the most out of that team without that superstar level talent on the roster. But you look at this year's field of candidates there's a number of them it's a it's quite a crowded group there but i think the clear recipient is quinn snyder of the utah jazz for getting that team to get to be another level to reach another level of their success despite you know he's had previous success they've been a very good team for a number of years but this year one of the best teams despite the fact that they didn't look that great tonight i think overall the utah jazz one of the best teams in the in the nba i think the best record in the western conference and, you know, clearly a, a, a title contender. I, I think what Snyder's been able to do, incorporating new level, you know, talent players in there in the roster, getting the most out of Donovan Mitchell, getting him and Rudy Gobert to form their, their you know, partnership and, and to continue building on the success they've had previously. I think uh, he, he seems like the clear recipient to me. I have to agree with you. Um, that, that leap from good Western Conference team to uh, – not a title favorite, but certainly a title contender, right? I don't, I don't sure. know that anybody would make the Jazz the favorites despite them having the best regular season record right now. That's still a really tough leap, especially when it's without some sort of addition of superstar talent, right? They didn't make a big change. This mm-hmm. is basically the same team as it was last year. So you take that, yeah, you get a leap from Donovan Mitchell, who I think if you talk about other awards, most improved, he's not going to win that, but I think he should at least be part of the conversation. And then, you know, massaging that relationship between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, which I don't know, these reports that that relationship were broken may have been overstated or overblown at the time, but there was definitely some sort of friction there that doesn't seem to exist anymore. And so that's got to, you can't put all of that on the coach, but you got to give the coach some credit for massaging those, those sort of, um, dynamics on the roster, yeah. yeah, and and taking a team that over the last couple of years, I, I do think that this is a regular. It, these awards are regular season awards, but with coaching, it's so hard to separate the past from the present. Where what Snyder has built over the last few years, from what was just a defensive first team with a lousy offense, just centered around Rudy Gobert, to now the only team in the league with not just a top. Uh, five defense and defensive rating, but also the a top five offense and offensive rating. The only team in the league that is top five in both on, on both sides of the floor. That to me 
it, it, it's it, that's an achievement that I think Quinn Snyder should be awarded for and yeah. will end up ultimately being recognized for. Before we get to these other sort of categories, should we just sort of rattle off the people that are sort of in in the the conversation for Coach of the Year? I mean, Quinn Snyder, I think, is a one. That's the guy that is on the top of most lists. But the other names out there, you think Doc Rivers, uh, Nate McMillan, Tom Thibodeau, Steve Nash, like I. I who, Monty is there any, Williams. Monty Williams, of course, for Phoenix. Uh, these are kind of the names that that have been kicked around. So was, that's who will win it. You and I agree that Snyder will win it, and obviously is very deserving of it. As for the other category, who should win it, or at least has a major case to win it, but probably won't? You could make a case for Monty Williams fitting into this category, but I think we've seen over the last couple of years particularly that the Chris Paul factor is an undeniable one. Like, How much of that can you attribute to Williams getting the most out of that roster? And no doubt he's done a phenomenal job. Like We saw evidence of it during the eight-seeding games in the Orlando bubble. We knew that Williams was capable of reaching the star of this team, Devin Booker, trying to help DeAndre Ayton reach another level in his development, incorporating new talent like Jay Crowder and stuff like that. Like We knew that Williams could do that, and we've seen him – do a phenomenal job this year, but I feel like a lot of the credit should go to Chris Paul. Like, I think that's just a reality. Like, he is the floor general. While he may be just an extension of what, what Williams is trying to implement, he does it better than anybody else, at, even at this stage in his career. So, no, that's as a much good as point. Like, that's a good point on Monty Williams, too. As much as he's done, like you were about to say, a great job, Do is there a point of separation where, okay, everybody wants right. to give Chris Paul so much credit? How much credit do, do we need to give to Phoenix? Like, how much credit do you have to spread around? Uh, maybe a lot. I don't know. This is a team with the second-best record in the league right now. So maybe yeah, there yeah. is enough credit to spread around to both Monty Williams and Chris Paul. That would be my argument pro Monty Williams, but it seems like you're going in another direction. Yeah, actually, I, I think it's Tom Thibodeau. Like, I, I'm a little surprised, but I feel like the job he's done in New York uh, and, and different surprised than yourself? What, what, is, that's what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. I, I didn't think I'd lean towards Thibodeau, but I just given their expectations for this season, I, I look they look at the offseason, and, and for the first time in a number of years, you could say, well, it wasn't great necessarily, but it wasn't disastrous either. They didn't do something bad, which is something that's been attributed to the Knicks front office for such a long time, but they seem like they were making positive moves. The Thibodeau hire was questionable. I don't think anybody saw it as a great natural fit. You're taking a roster of some mediocre level talent, a glut at the four, kind of a, a, a mishmash of players there, and you're not quite sure what's going to turn out. He's done a really good job of getting the most of those players. And unlike Paul kind of just remaining the status quo and doing what he's done throughout his whole career, Thibodeau was able to take Julius Randle and make him into an all-NBA player. And for him to be able to be to get the most out of Randle this year, to get him to play at a completely different level where he is a clear superstar in this league, I don't know how sustainable it will be, especially considering he's playing almost 40 minutes a game or something. But at the same time, I, you look at what Thibodeau's done, he just seems to mesh so well with that roster and get the most out of Randle and other guys that want to do the work, and he's got them to a level where I think they're playing so well, uh, I have to give him the credit for it. And so I think he should win it, even though I think, again, Snyder will probably likely win the award. So far, you and I are in complete agreement. Big shock. Wow. But uh, I have Tom Thibodeau also being – he is the agent of change. He is the very clear agent of change right now in New York. And when you talk about these Coach of the Year awards, the narrative so often falls either with the best team in the league, which is the case for Quinn Snyder as far as record is concerned, or the team that just takes that substantial leap where the clear the, – like the, the difference, the biggest difference – from a roster or coaching or whatever is just the head coach, the difference in head coach. And Tom Thibodeau walking into that job and turning around 
that team and that culture and everything that they got going on. You mentioned Julius Randle. The fact that he put R.J. Barrett in a position to succeed more than right. anything else for this franchise, the fact that you found your coach, uh, your long-term coach seemingly in Tom Thibodeau, and got the most out of R.J. Barrett after an underwhelming rookie season, right? And, and you talk about you know potential most improved uh, candidates. R.J. Barrett's got as good a chance as anybody to win that award this year. And a, lo- a big part of that is up to him and, and that leap he made between year one and two, but uh, Thibodeau putting him in position to uh, succeed. Who's got no Can- chance but deserves it? Well, I was going to say in that second category, I don't want to go too long in this, but I don't think Ty Lue is getting his flowers this year. Like, I mean, maybe you don't think he deserves it, but I feel like the narrative around Lue for so long has been, well, he coached LeBron in Cleveland. He didn't really get the most of them. When LeBron left, that roster fell apart, and so did the team, and he got blamed for it and fired. But he's taken a pretty good Clippers team, and he's gotten the most out of them this year too. And They've incorporated new players. They got the most out of Nick Batum. Rajon Rondo has fit perfectly in this roster. And, yeah, you could look at Kawhi Leonard playing at an MVP-type level and Paul George playing phenomenally well and all the other con- contributions from around the roster. But, I mean, for Lou to be able to get that roster to play well in his first year as coach, you have to give him some credit, right? I don't know he's going to get any kind of consideration whatsoever, but to me he seems like he deserves a little bit. As far no, as my I'm last, sure the Clippers fans listening to this are going to really appreciate you throwing Ty Lue's name into the mix. I'm sure all of the Do you Clippers not agree fans. at all? Am I like way off base on this one? Because sometimes I don't even know. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I'm not going to tell you that you're way off base. The Clippers have the third best record in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has been in and out of the lineup. Paul George has been in and out of the lineups for a while and, and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that Ty Lue isn't deserving, but he doesn't really have any narrative force pushing his own case because the Clippers, yeah. like not last exactly year, the most they're kind quotable of the same team. coach in the league. Yeah. And not, yeah, not the most quotable. And look, I mean, they don't, I, I, I make the joke like all the Clippers fans are going to appreciate you throwing Ty Lue's name in the mix. There's just not that many of them to really push oh. that case. I'm just, I, I think that's part of it. I don't know. There's, just, there's not. There's not much of an error. The Clippers are the third best record in the league, and I don't care. Like I'm not thinking about the Clippers all that much. Uh, maybe that, maybe <laughs> I'm wrong about it. Um, no chance, but deserves it. Nate McMillan. Like uh, honestly, I, I feel taking over that Hawks team after Lloyd Pierce was I, I, I don't know apparently you know disagreeing with Trey Young, and there was this internal problems there. Like all of a sudden everything was wrong, and maybe you could attribute some of McMillan's success to players getting healthy. But I, I think. You know, Young's fit in well. John Collins has played well under under McMillan, and I, I think McMillan has been such an underrated coach for such a long time. But twenty and eight, and look, it, it doesn't. You know, it's not lost on me the fact that Snyder, Thibodeau, and McMillan all lost tonight, even as we're proclaiming that they're all Coach of the Year candidates. But you know, losses are going to happen, and McMillan has done a phenomenal job. Twenty and eight as since he's taken taken over as Hawks coach. I feel like just going in there midseason. Not sure what you're going to get out of this roster. I think a lot of people dismissed Atlanta despite their talent, despite the offseason moves that they made. And maybe you were looking at the firing of Lloyd Pearson saying, well, they have no chance of making it to the postseason. They've been one of the hottest teams in the league, and I think McMillan should deserve some credit for it. I have uh, that, That's as good a chance, as, a good a choice as there is. And you're right, he has no chance because he hasn't been the coach for the entire season. And I, I don't know what the right. rules are, but it feels like if you're not coaching the whole year, you don't have much of an opportunity. But that team is completely turned around under McMillan. But my guy here is Steve Nash. Mm. He is taking this Nets team that is the most talented roster in the league. They, they're 41 and 20 as, we, as we're talking here. But they've only had their top three players for seven games this right. year. Uh, and he's doing it with this mismatched roster. Those right. seven games that they did play looked magical. And yeah, a lot of that is the talent. But you got to credit Steve Nash for managing those egos, getting 
keeping guys playing hard every single night, and it, th- that is a team that most certainly plays hard, adding in new elements all the time. Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge for a little bit, and then you don't have him, and all these things. Right. A Bruce Brown, turning him into this like crazy you know, utility player, and, and shout out to Bruce Brown, the best Miami Hurricanes player in the NBA since what, Rick Barry? Like, you know, Hurricanes <laughs> finest there. But uh, I, I don't know how he's doing with that roster, but they're so fun to watch. They play hard. They're, 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 they're at the top of the Eastern Conference, despite not having their best players for so much of the year, not knowing when Kyrie Irving is going to show up, if he's going to show up. Kevin Durant having to manage that injury. James Harden with, with nagging injuries here and there. Uh, he's got no chance because people are going to look at the talent of that roster and say, yeah, well, of course you should be winning a bunch of games. But he hasn't had that talent for so much of this year, and he's doing it. And Brooklyn's beating really good teams a lot. And uh, I don't know how many coaches in the league could have done what he's done as far as taking a new job, rookie year as a coach, putting in a system, implementing a new system, and uh, playing five out most of the year with a mismatched roster that changed midseason in a lot of dramatic and major ways and still managing to just kind of go through this thing pretty seamlessly, at least it looks like. Look, the, the blatant disregard for three-time NBA champion and former Hurricane great James Jones will not be overlooked. I, I, I can't believe – I'm not going to just let that slide. I mean, the guy's nicknamed Champ for crying out loud. He's turned around the Suns on his own. Uh, Monty Williams, Chris Paul be damned. That's all attributed to James Jones, That's former right. Miami Heat legend. Anyway, uh, but you're right. Look, I, it's so funny because even as we're talking about this, I can't sometimes separate the whole narrative of this team. And, I, and when I first think of Brooklyn – it's all superficial. You think, oh, the big three. They've got this incredible glut of talent. They've got either an all MVP candidate in Durant or or Harden, and then a third level All Star in you know Kyrie Irving. And you look at all the other players that they've added there. But that's not easy. You've talked about this a number of times, especially covering the Warriors. The difficulty of managing the egos of guys like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. That's what Steve Kerr was brought in for, and that's what he's done as well as anybody possibly could have. And that's why he got them to the level that they did. And you look at what Steve Nash, I mean, again, who spent some time in, in Golden State's front office, he learned how to do this firsthand. He's been able to mesh those players, get the most out of the little 12 that surrounds them. That has to be, uh, you know, he has to get some credit for it. And I don't think he will because it was such a controversial move. Yeah. You look at the fact that, you know, minority candidates were overlooked for a guy with no coaching experience whatsoever, really. But it's worked. Like, he's been perfect for that team. He's gotten the most out of the players there that are healthy and available. And I think once they do get healthy, they'll still be a title favorite. I think that's pretty clear. Coming up, what we've learned about the Knicks after their recent win streak. But first, David, tell the listeners about Locker Room. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. It's the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download. And once you're in, you can talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I hosted my first Locker Room session last week. I'm going to be doing it again this year. Uh, I'm sorry, this week on Thursday. So you can join me and other Locked On hosts on the conversation. But make sure you start by getting the app uh, on your iOS system. It's a perfect place to start or join conversations about the NBA. You'll find fans just like you for watch parties, debates, talk about the Coach of the Year candidacy. Uh, We'll have a chance to chat again later on this week. But go download the free Locker Room app. Currently available, like I said, on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the uh, NBA group for the latest league updates. Uh, I know you won't want to miss it. I'll be planning to go live again later on this week, but make sure you catch all the other Locked On hosts there. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. This 
This year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft, April 29th to May 1st. The Timberwolves got a big win over the Jazz that we'll talk about later on. But first, we go to New York, where the Knicks' nine-game win streak comes to an end in epic fashion in a 118 to 110 loss to the Suns. Derrick Rose had 22 points, his third 20-point game in the last six games. But Devin Booker put up 33 for Phoenix, who came back from 15 points down. Chris Paul came up big in the final moments with a circus fadeaway jumper and then a three-pointer in the final 45 seconds to put the Suns over the top. A big win for Phoenix, a very good win on the road for Phoenix, but they've been winning all year long. The Knicks, they've been winning but they've been winning the most over this last nine-game streak that finally came to an end. And to me, David, I want to talk about our takeaway from the Knicks and this nine-game win streak because they have been such a point of conversation. But with this nine-game win streak coming to an end, I feel like it's a good time to just sort of sit back and think about what these Knicks really are. What, do, what did you learn about these Knicks over that nine-game win streak? I'm kind of torn because to me it almost feels like We've just seen the very best of what they can do, but it's also it doesn't feel that particularly drastic. Like I don't know that they've gotten any particularly better. They, their defense has been great all year. Randall has been phenomenal. They just seem to have just mesh at the right time. Maybe you can attribute it to the fact that R.J. Barrett is a legitimately good player and a key contri- contributor for this team. Uh, maybe it's the fact that Thibodeau does have them playing at another level. Maybe it's Derrick Rose, even at his age, at this point in his career, still being a solid contributor for a number of games. I, I just, I, There's so many different factors that just seem to tie together. I guess it's their defense overall. The biggest takeaway from that is that they're just a legitimately good defensive team. Again, something that they've been all year. So I don't know that the nine streak helped them differentiate in any clear way other than just maximizing everything that they've been slowly building over the course of the year. They're a legitimately good team. you got to give them credit. They've done a phenomenal job there. And I, I, I'm hesitant to kind of give them those kind of that kind of credit outright because I'm a little sick of the when the New York teams are when the when the Knicks are great the league is better. I, I don't see any reason for that. The Knicks have sucked for a long time and, and the league has been just fine without them. So I don't I don't know exactly. We've talked about this before, but at the same time, you look at what the Knicks have done. They just they continue to win. They're, they're a good team, and I think I don't see them as a clear title contender by any stretch. Right. But they could make some noise in the playoffs, and that's good enough right now for Knicks fans. And right now they're they're right there in the playoffs. This is to me the nine game win streak set them apart from playing team to okay you're a bona fide play playoff team right. The, right now they are fourth in the Eastern Conference. There are two right. games uh, up uh, of the Miami Heat at that seventh spot, avoiding that play in tournament. It just it feels like they are going to hold on to that playoff spot, uh, that real playoff spot, and avoid you know that play in tournament altogether, which is great for them. And it reminds me a little bit about where uh, of where the Clippers were a couple of years ago. Scrappy team, proven head coach, culture was being set there, and if it, and there's talent on that roster. But if you're a potential star, you're looking at that roster and saying, "I could be the guy that takes that thing over the top." Now, I don't know who that star player is anytime soon. I don't know this this offseason. Giannis signed the extension. Maybe Kawhi opts out, but everything we understand is that he's probably going to stay in L.A. At least that's the expectation. So I don't know who right. that next star is. Uh, we, we talked about Zion Williamson last week. That's seven years down the road or something. So, you know, whatever. But um, right now, Julius Randle, you mentioned a, a star player. What we learned a, a couple months ago was that Julius Randle was an all-star. Yeah. I, he's What I learned in this nine-game win streak, his stats were incredible. Okay. 
he might be all NBA material this year. Oh, I think he is, yeah. Yeah, and that's not going to be crazy if he ends up on your on the all NBA third team over even guys like Paul George and people that we're accustomed to seeing there. Uh, that would not shock me. And then you combine that with Derrick Rose, what he's doing off the bench for them has been phenomenal all season. He's been playing great over that nine-game uh, uh, win streak. You mentioned R.J. Barrett. We've talked about him enough. New Orleans Noel has been nice for them. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they've got so – there's a lot of good players on that roster, just a lot of guys that you like to have that you want to have. Alec Burks has been good for them over stretches. Yeah. Uh, there's something that they're building there. The culture is real. They're peaking at the right time. And that, to me, well, is the biggest takeaway in that, hey, this is a real playoff team that's building something. And if you're a star player within these next couple of years, and if they can maintain whatever it is that, they've, that, that they have right now, then look out for the Knicks. Because, now, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, look, that nine-game has revealed a lot. I mean, the nine-game win streak, excuse me. They lost tonight, obviously. But the, the next seven games, though, Arguably much more important as far as defining what this Knicks team actually is. Like they host the the Bulls on Wednesday, and then they go on a six game road trip that is absolutely brutal. They take on the Rockets, that's a clearly decimated team, but then they go on to Memphis, Denver, Phoenix, the Clippers, and the Lakers will probably be welcoming back LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who's looked great in his return. So that streak is probably, I mean, that stretch right there is probably going to be much more important in defining what this Knicks team actually is, which is why I'm kind of hesitant to give too, too much credence to what they've done over the nine game winning streak, just because it was more of a, a, a slight improvement over the things that they've been slowly building to. If they really are going to prove themselves as a team that wants to hold on to that fourth seed, that wants to establish themselves as one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, this is their opportunity to go and do that. And it's going to be a much more difficult challenge, I think. I don't know if we're allowed to take this uh, as a lesson from the win streak because they technically lost against Phoenix, but we right. also learned that John Stewart and Chris Rock hang out. Did we know that already? Because they were hanging out courtside at Madison Square Garden. I don't know if we. I mean, it makes sense. They're both comedic geniuses. I would. I, it makes sense why they would hang out, but I didn't know that they went to Knicks games. And in, in Chris Rock times. was in a Miami game just last week. I'm not sure exactly why. So maybe he's just going through. The, now that arenas are opening up, maybe he's him. just hitting up everyone. Um, it's time for our line of the night. Bradley Beal scored 45 points tonight, but it wasn't enough as the Spurs got 37 points, including nine in the fourth quarter and overtime from DeMar DeRozan and ended the Wizards' eight-game win streak. Russell Westbrook notched his 29th triple-double of the season and is now just six shy of Oscar Robertson's record of 181 triple-doubles over a career. Uh, A lot of noteworthy box scores from that game, but David, who are you awarding the line of the night to? Oh, I mean, it's got to be Beal, right? I mean, just yeah. a phenomenal performance from him, even in the loss. And we've seen these kind of scoring explosions from him, obviously going back and forth with Steph Curry as far as the league-leading score. But it's just – it's incredible to see him being able to put up these kind of performances. And it's a it's – a, look, the, the Wizards have been really good of late too. If you're going to look at recent winning streaks, the Wizards just had one put to an end, unfortunately, tonight for themselves. It's just – Beal continues to outperform his expectations. I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of leaning towards Westbrook. Like, just the fact. I know we should probably be taking it for granted. I've made jokes about this before, even last week. But another triple double for him, and I know a lot of the stats are geared towards him, his performance, the way he chases rebounds, things of that sort. But closing in on Oscar Robertson for the all-time career high, I don't think anybody would have ever expected Russell Westbrook 
to evolve into that kind of player. Uh, looking at his early career in Oklahoma City, playing alongside Kevin Durant, he's he's managed to transform his game, even as he continues to be inef- wildly inefficient at times, and you know, slow, surely aging and and dealing with a bloated contract. That's a hell of a stat line from him. Just a, not even not if the stat line particularly great, but just the fact that he's getting close to you know, Oscar Robertson. That's incredible. Demar Derozan, I want to give him a shout out. Uh, the Go points are one thing, but the ten assists, he is quietly transformed his game in San Antonio to a guy who is much more a playmaker than he ever was in Toronto. And I think that deserves some credit. But the line of the night has to go to Bradley Beal, not just because he was a leading scorer in the night with 45 points, but Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that after leading the league in scoring for basically all of the season until last week when Steph, after that crazy street run that he was on, overtook him for the number one spot um, on the NBA scoring list, uh, Beal with these 45 points retakes the lead over Steph, but just by a hair, David. Bradley Beal is a tenth of a point now up in front of Steph Curry. That is going to be a, a fun little uh, uh, race to watch yeah. over these next 10 games. Beal and Curry, I mean, they are so close that literally every single shot that they take could change who could could determine who ends up being the uh, who who takes the scoring title. Now, think what you will about the importance of that award. It's really not all that important. I couldn't tell you who won the scoring title last year. It doesn't really affect me. But it's at least. But we don't really have these sort of races, and those kinds of things are a lot of fun, especially when you're ta- talking about two of the better scorers in the league in Beal and Steph, and by definition, maybe the two best scorers in the league this year, uh, playing for you know fringe playoff teams at this point. And but these are superstar players that if there's a level of intrigue that we can add to the rest of the season. It's definitely helpful, and Bradley Beal and Steph Curry in this race that they're they're tangled in is definitely something to, to keep an eye on. One more note about DeRozan's 37 points, zero three-point attempts yeah. shot or love made. You 13 free throw attempts. 13 of 13 at the line, too, so a phenomenal. Let's give it to DeMar DeRozan. You know what? He de- let's just give it to DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> you got to love that game. Um, why it's time to get Kevin Love out of Cleveland, that's coming up next. But first, David, tell the listeners about Rock Auto. With an ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts you might need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure pointless or intimidating questioning while the person behind the counter orders the parts you're looking for on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket, and rockauto.com is a family-owned business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy-to-use site, and you'll get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Why would you spend more for the exact same parts at a chain store or at a car dealership? RockAuto.com's low prices are the same for everybody, so go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Then go to the section that says, How did you hear about us? And write the phrase, Locked On, so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's RockAuto.com. And when you're done saving a little money on Rock Auto, make sure you go to Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. This week has tons of sports action on the go as the NFL draft is on. The Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info on your all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check 
out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game. As teams prep for their runs to the playoffs, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget to use the phrase, Locked On. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Let's get to some other scores from around the NBA, David. The Hawks welcome back Chris Dunn, but without Lou Williams and Trey Young and kind of showed in their three-point shooting as the Pistons held Atlanta to just 14% shooting from long range, 4 of 27, as Detroit was able to beat one of the hottest teams in the league for just their 19th win of the season. Lakers head coach Frank Vogel lifted Anthony Davis's minutes restriction and Anthony Davis scored 18 points in just his third game back after missing 30 games. The Lakers got 21 points from Dennis Schroeder uh, and easily knocked off the Magic, 114 to 103. The Oklahoma City Thunder tied the longest losing streak in team history, dropping their 14th straight game, the most since they first started playing in Oklahoma City. Joel Embiid scored 21 points in just 23 minutes as the Sixers blow out the Thunder 121-90. The Heat continue to shoot themselves in the foot on a night when they could have continued to climb up the standings. Instead, they wasted a brilliant 33-point performance from Jimmy Butler as the Bulls, led by Nikola Vucevic's 24 points, beat Miami 110 to 102. Vucevic, even in Chicago, continues to take my, have Miami's number, David. What's going, they have no answer for him and haven't for a decade, it feels like. Yeah. When Vucevic enters whatever European Hall of Fame he's going to enter, he should wear a <laughs> Miami Heat jersey because he's gotten more money from the Heat than any other franchise. Like, unbelievable. All of his contracts are due to incredible performances against Miami. Pat Riley's going to walk up to American Airlines Arena one day and just there's going to be a Vucevic statue in front of it for some reason. He'll be like, how did this get here? Where did this come from? Uh, Jimmy Butler missed a, a bunny layup at the end of that the, the fourth quarter there too. That would have made it a one possession game. Just weird, man. Like that that missed layup I, again on a night where he had 33 points. Just a, a, yeah. a, a great performance from Jimmy Butler. Like I said, that that to me was so symbolic of their season. It doesn't matter how good that they're playing. They just they're just a little bit. They're an inch off from being a good team. And that Jimmy Butler missed layup just kind of symbolized that to me. No doubt. Uh, look, the, the Nuggets beat the Grizzlies 120-96 to as Nikola Jokic put up 24 points, 15 rebounds, and 5 assists. And Michael Porter Jr. came up big with 31 points on 12 of 19 shooting, 7 rebounds, and 2 assists. John Morant had 27 points for Memphis. It's time to play NB AdLibs where we fill in the blanks on the biggest stories from around the NBA. The Timberwolves swept the season series against the Jazz. This is blank, David. Uh I mean, I, I can't, I can't think it's anything that important. I, I mean, uh, look, I, I know for Jazz fans, they're probably uh, climbing the walls right now, and, and the possibility that the Jazz might not hold on to the one seed in the Western Conference. And I know it's a lot about uh, the right, getting the right matchup when there's so much talent in the West and there's so many teams that can, you know, be dangerous in the, in the play-in tournament. You don't necessarily want to go up against the wrong team there and have a brilliant regular season trashed by a you know, poor postseason play, but I, I I don't know. I, I don't – like, they've lost other games that have been head-scratchers throughout the season. I don't know if I necessarily want to attribute it to uh, being a particularly egregious loss just because it's against the Timberwolves. I mean, the Timberwolves have slowly been improving over the course of the season. They just had so many injuries and so many issues, and 
so many off the court problems too that uh, they're 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 probably a, a better team than a lot of people expect, even though they've struggled all season long and you know obviously not a very uh, you know great record from them this year. But I, I don't know. I don't make too much of it. Now, what do you think? I think it's emblematic of what the season is. It's just weird that what had been the team with the worst record in the league for so much of the season uh, had swept the season series against the team that has had the best record in the league for so much of the regular season. It's emblematic of what this year has been, David. It's just it's just weird, right? It's just weird. And there's no rhyme or reason to your point. There's no rhyme or reason for it. I don't think it's it says anything about Utah, and I don't really think it says anything about Minnesota. It's just a weird thing that happened in a weird season. Yeah, it's such an interesting point because I, I, you look at what last season was and the fact that there was this long – multi-month hiatus leading up to spectacular quality basketball in the Orlando bubble and it just you know so many people dismiss that season as the Disney season or Le Mickey winning a championship and all this crap that they talk about what LeBron and the Lakers were able to accomplish in the Orlando bubble but I you look at this season and while it's being played mostly the same way any NBA season has been played before the compressed schedule, the fact that there have been, you know, rosters decimated by health and safety protocol, the, the constant specter of COVID hanging over everything, the, the quality of basketball has been much worse. To your point, like you can't tell from one night what team's going to be even out on the floor. You've had superstars miss a, a considerable amount of time. You've had key players suffer from long-term effects due to COVID. I, it's just it's so hard to gauge anything about this season. Like if there's going to be any season that's going to be asterisk marked, I, I think it should be this I one agree. because it's just so hard to predict. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Kevin Love's flipping inbound against the Toronto Raptors was blank. It was tragic comic, David. It was both tragic and comedy. Uh, this is a guy who went from competing at the highest stage, right? The NBA Finals year after year with LeBron and that a couple of years of Kyrie and everything that was happening there against those big Gold State Warriors teams. And now... He's doing this, and if you haven't seen it, listener, uh, go find the clip. It is absolutely hilarious. Kept there, it's in Cleveland's game I've against never seen Toronto. Like it. It's it's the weirdest thing. They're, they're in a loss to Toronto. Uh, it, the the Cavaliers are about to get the ball back. Kevin Love steps onto the baseline as if to inbound it. The ref hands it to him. He just smacks the ball inbounds. It goes directly to OG Anunoby, and OG gets the ball. And the Raptors are like, okay, I guess we we have it again. That's nice. And, and my favorite part of it, David, is just Darius Garland just standing there, arms out like, what the hell, man? What was that all about? He has no idea what he's doing. He's like, I guess I'm supposed to play defense. He has, and he's just, he's so befuddled that he can't even close out on the shooter. He has just no idea what's going on. Poor Darius Garland, who's like a decade younger than Kevin Love at this point. Poor Kevin Love, who is a decade older than every single one of his teammates at this point. Get him out of there. I know that he's not that great of a player anymore, but can we no. just get him out of there or we can keep him there as long as he just does this once a game and I'll be happy with it. <laughs> 11 points for Love on three of nine shooting, 0 for 4 from three-point range. Like Clearly, some frustration from his individual level of play had been slowly boiling over there and it just uh, kind of blew up all over the refs and poor Terry's Garland too. So uh, a funny, tragic comic is, is pretty fair uh, and, and just more, I think, frustration uh, I, I just don't know exactly what happened i wish i'd been watching that game well actually no no considering don't. it was a 16 <laughs> point blowout i would not have really wanted to see it but just i wanted to see the context for that and i don't i couldn't quite get it as we're recording this but i'm sure i'll be able to uh, uh, go on a, a deeper dive tomorrow and see exactly what's going on it looks like he was complaining to the ref too so 
maybe there was a previous. It's not call the first time we've seen this from Kevin Love, though. I mean, there, what, what doesn't he like bullet the passes to his teammates sometimes and like oh, take yeah. it on the? Co- this is not the first thing that we've seen from Kevin Love post, you know, finals runs. Yelling at Colin Sexton, right? I mean, yeah. didn't he yell at? at the, he hates so his guards. Is our takeaway? He just can't stand Colin Sexton. He, he's not a fan of Sexland. He's just not. No, he's not. It's like that meme with the Wolverine cartoon figure where he's looking at a picture or something. He's, he's picturing LeBron and Kyrie next to each other or somebody else alone there. Anyway. The Clippers signing DeMarcus Cousins for the rest of the season is blank, David. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I feel like we've been trying to make so much out of these kind of moves and they rarely pan out. And look, Boogie had a big game today, but only because Kawhi was out. They were getting blown out anyway, and he wound up playing a lot more minutes. He did wind up having 24 points of the night, so a, a nice performance from him. I guess you could say it's a solid addition, but I, I feel like even a player, or even a coach like Ty Lue is probably going to tighten his rotation to some degree. I cannot see Boogie Cousin playing any kind of a role in the playoffs. Like I, I'd, love to, I'd love for it to happen, right? I, I think... His career arc has taken such, not necessarily a tragic turn, but a really negative one. And, you know, being in and out of so many different teams and rosters over the last few years, this is a player that was one of the greatest in NBA history at his position. And then it all kind of falls apart there ever ever since he was traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. And I, I just, that he can contribute on occasion, that you want to have big players that can fit in well, that's fine. I just don't know he's necessarily going to be an impactful player. The best version of this Clippers team isn't relying on Cousins to do much of anything. And the fact that he's just a big body out there that can challenge maybe the Lakers' size on occasion, that can go up against Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. Like, you're not going to count on him. He's not going to be a defensive presence. He's just a big body who can rebound and occasionally stretch the floor, but not consistent enough at this point in his career to actually be an impactful player. Uh, in his last six or in his eight games before this, that that nice performance he had tonight, uh, six point three points per game on forty nine percent shooting. He's not taking as many threes as people think that he is. He's only taking one per game, uh, and he's turning the ball over a bunch. T- two turnovers a game to just one point three assists. He's not rebounding as much as you think either. Um, you know, to me, it's just desperate. You know, that's I, I don't know. But you're probably right. It, maybe it's not even desperate at this point. It's it's whatever this Clippers team is during the regular season is not going to be like there. He's not going to be part of the rotation in the play. He might he might see some spot minutes in the playoffs. But when it, when we're talking about like if the Clippers get to the Western Conference Finals, it won't be because Demarcus Cousins is playing a lot of minutes. Right. Speaking of Cousins, his former teammate John Wall, Rockets guard, is out for the rest of the season with a hamstring injury. This latest setback for Wall is blank, Wes. It is all but guaranteeing that the Rockets are going to end up with the number, the the odds, the best odds for the number one pick in this draft lottery, David. That's what this to me says. You get the Timberwolves apparently rolling. They've won four of their last six. The Rock, like John Wall, has been a nice feel-good story for Houston. There's other players there. Jashon Tate has been a nice addition for them. Christian Wood has been uh, good for stretches of this season, but. Without John Wall, he seems to still be sort of the motor that drives that thing or whatever, you know, into the ground mostly. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> without that, uh, it does feel like that, that that the Rockets are headed for the number one pick, at least the best odds to land the number one pick. We understand that those odds have been smoothed out. But uh, if Houston can end up with the top pick in the draft and, and get Cade Cunningham, then, then all of a sudden things can really turn around there from what mm-hmm. I'm hearing about Cade Cunningham and, and all the, you know, people, what people are saying about him. But yeah. for now, yeah, it seems like Houston's going nowhere fast. Yeah. It's, it's, 
sucks for Wall. It sucks for the Rockets fans. But I, I'm sure – actually, I, I think Rockets fans, I'm not sure that they'd be overjoyed by it because I'm sure they love what Wall's been able to produce for them. But the fact that now they clearly have no chance of any of winning any games for the rest of the season, they're going to continue to struggle with uh, just finishing it out and, and tanking as much as possible. Uh, but, again, improving their chances at draft pick. So hopefully for Wall, it's not – any kind of long-lasting injury like it seems like he probably could have come back if they were in playoff contention and clearly that's not the case so there's no need to rush him back on the floor so hopefully he'll bounce back and it won't add to the kind of myriad of injuries that he's suffered over the last few years of his career but uh let's move on tonight's game between the mavericks and the warriors on tnt is blank david that should be an exciting one. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think, you know, the, both those teams right now, again, flirting with that play-in tournament seating. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch two of the most magnetic scorers in the league in Curry and Doncic, so it should be a good one. It's consequential, isn't it? I mean, these are two teams in the thick of the uh, play-in race, right? It doesn't seem like uh, the Warriors are going to be able to get all the way up to, to six where Dallas currently is, but Dallas could certainly fall to below six with Portland there at seven, maybe Memphis there at eight. So uh, this is an important game for both of these teams. Dallas coming off the second night of a back-to-back after having played Sacramento tonight. Uh, the Warriors having an, you know, a usual day of rest, but like you said, it's Luka Doncic, it's Steph Curry. It's going to be worth watching, uh, and it makes sense why TNT put it on a national showcase. That'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts for 30 minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. We'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me over at Locked on Warriors and David at Locked on Heat. Thanks for listening.